Hi, my name is Joy Travis, and today I'd like to take some time and talk to you about speech and language impairment. We'll be looking into the process of diagnosis as well as the types of screening tools used to help identify a child with a suspected speech and language impairment. What are some ways to best support a child with a diagnosis? I'm going to do this with the help of my colleague and, colleague and good friend, Kara Clark Harshorn, a speech and language pathologist of many years who has worked in the Wintam School District. Hi. Kara, hi, how are you? I'm good. Good. I'm so glad you could join us today. So can I start by asking you some questions? Absolutely. Okay. So let's start with the first question. What would you do if you suspected um, your child had a speech and language impairment? Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give an age to this child. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. Yes, all right. Um, if you had a child who was younger than school age, so not in school yet, mm-hmm. um, and you thought okay. that you are in language impairment, the first place that I would recommend starting usually is um, with your pediatrician. Um, going to okay. your pediatrician and that. discussing, yeah, discussing the difficulties that you're noticing um, and the, your concerns. That's usually that's the recommendation but then if you don't feel like you're getting the sometimes from there a pediatrician will tell you to refer to your school district or if your just gut is just telling you that something's not right then Mm -hmm. if if your child is between the ages of three and five not quite in kindergarten yet then I would um, recommend highly to contact your school district okay and yeah that does make sense. And then from there, um, they would be able to coordinate the appropriate measures. Yeah. What um, happens then is you contact your school district. You tell them what your concerns are. Um, there is a special education secretary in most school districts or a person, at least, that's in charge of taking an intake or and this is what we call a pre-referral. So the person takes your information in the state of New Hampshire anyway. That's um the person mm-hmm. at the school district takes your information, takes down your concerns, and then gives this information to the special education team um, for them to okay. review um, and to go over your your concerns that you've given about your child. Okay, so that that makes sense. That's a good place to start. Um, yeah. And for what can a parent expect at the beginning of the process of a diagnosis? The beginning of that. So to begin. Um, this, sorry, I'm stuttering. The okay. New Hampshire law, we all thought we have mm-hmm. to follow the New Hampshire uh, special education law, which gives us timelines and a time frame, as well as the steps that we have to go through um, when you begin this process. So the first part of it is a team member contacting you um, and either having an intake over the telephone um, and discussing like what's going on and what your thoughts are, mm-hmm. as well as paperwork being sent home for you to fill out a case history, um, some background information. And then we have right. what's called a, then we have a meeting and we sit down and talk about, it's a referral meeting and we sit down with you and talk okay. about what your concerns are, whether or not it's felt that these are developmentally appropriate because some children- okay. Yeah, some children, if you're three and you come and you're not making L's and R's, that's not developmentally appropriate. I understand your concern, but that's not, that doesn't fall within the developmental range of a three-year-old. Um, right. 
but if you come to yeah but if you go to go to the team and you say my child is three he's not talking he's only using between two and three words he gets really frustrated he has um tantrums then we recommend that we begin the evaluation process and we do a um an evaluation okay so the red flags kind of go up from there right right so um what are the common speech and language impairments that you see most often a lot of it's hard when they're little when you're three it's really hard to discern exactly what the fine exactly what's going on we under oftentimes we look at it it is definitely a developmental delay or a develop mm -hmm. it's not fitting the de the course of development so oftentimes we look at it as a developmental delay if there's more global things going on say we're concerned that the child isn't able to follow directions and he has difficulty expressing himself and using more than two or three words at a time, then that kind of falls under, at this point in their development, a developmental delay. However, oftentimes it's not uncommon for us to also just to meet children who are having difficulties with the sounds that they produce in their speech. Mm -hmm. So they might have whole groups of sounds that they can't use in their language. So they might not be able to make K's or G's. Um, they might not be able to make S's. They might not be able to um, be able to use the sounds in the beginning, the middle, or the ending of words, but they have all those vowels in between. So that follows under, that right there follows under more of a speech, more of the expressive language end of it. Um, and then sometimes we, at this point in time, we meet, it's not uncommon for us to be introduced to parents who are just coming into having a more significant diagnosis at this point in time, such as autism or okay. any other medical um, diagnosis would, that they've received from an outside source. Okay. And would that be where um, you would look into the whole global aspect of the whole child? Yes. Yes. Okay. And that would be when we would recommend more than just a speech and language evaluation, but more of a... Is there a motor difficulty happening? Is there an academic difficulty happening? Um, and or is and also is there a this? It, oftentimes in those situations, you also look at um, it's called. I apologize. I'm losing. I'm not miss. I'm having trouble. Can't think of the word. But we look at ADL. So acti activities of daily living. How are they able to um, be able to? Um, function in their daily lives and follow those routines and do those sort of things too. It's an, it's called an adaptive assessment. That's what it is. Okay. Um, so yeah. So that's one of that's a screening tool that you would you would use. Um, my my next question to that is, um, what are some of those tools that you use to screen these these children with the suspected um, speech and language impairment? Mm -hmm. Like how do you um, get the diagnosis? Uh, <laughs> uh, many different ways, actually. Um, we always look at some, we try very hard if the child is able to do some mm -hmm. sort of standardized assessment. Um, so be it, there's a couple of different assessments that I primarily use on a regular basis. One of them is the Goldman Fristo test of articulation um, that looks okay. at the sounds that we produce in our, um, the beginning, middle and ending of our words. There's um, something called the preschool language scale that is used for children. Um, I believe it's six weeks old up to six years of age. So that covers a okay. large group. Um, there's another assessment called the 
real. It's the receptive and expressive early language um, assessment. And that actually, it's a standardized assessment, but it's more of an interview that I can do with parents if the child isn't able to perform a standardized assessment. So mm -hmm. those are all those are all assessments that we use. But then after that, it's really important that we sit down with the child and play so that we can look right. at what are their play skills like? Do they have functional play? Do they have symbolic play? Do they have pretend play? Um, mm -hmm. And also use that time to get what we call as a language sample. So looking at them using their language, how can they use it functionally? Do they use it um, in greetings? Do they use it to say goodbye? Are they able to right. use it to get their needs met um, versus just simply looking at a piece of paper and giving more of a rote response? Um, so those are all, even though we have to have a standardized that's, assessment, those are all important pieces too. Right. And that's so interesting to hear you um, say that, you know, that you, you dive much deeper into, you know, just a, a typical assessment as far as, you know, you sitting across from the child and asking them to identify pictures or um, things like that. So, yeah, it's really, it's, it's a really tricky, that's the really tricky aspect of the evaluation process because it's important to have a standardized test. They've been used, it's, you know, they've been used to look at what does the general population actually look like? What is normal? What is not normal? And looking at um, being able to get a score so that we have something to compare it to. And also to have a score, we can give the same assessment maybe in a year and we are able to show growth um, and those sort of mm -hmm. things. But unfortunately, when it also comes down to it, when it comes down to the, to the meat of it and having to write in education plan, a standardized assessment, especially for three to five-year-olds, doesn't give you a lot of information exactly on how to do that because it doesn't show them how they can use it functionally. So you really have to get down and play with them and, and get the nuances of it that way. Right. So really get to know that, that child and their struggles and yeah. what they really need. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so what are the most common speech and language impairments that you see? Um, a large majority of the children that I meet have um, more phonological, which is the sounds, any patterns that we use to produce our speech or articulation difficulties. Um, and they're probably, they're the majority of the population that I see. There's also, but I think that that is also because of the younger age that I work with. Um, right. Oftentimes difficulties difficulties that can be a little deeper say you know mm -hmm. uh, a specific language impairment might not come up at this age because the children mm -hmm. are functional they're able to use their language and they're not in a classroom they're not right. using they're not having to listen to language to interpret their environments to the extent that older children have to do it right. so i think that it's I still meet quite a few children who have more difficulties like that as well, but the majority are kind of that sound, um, sounds that we use in our speech and how to help them with that. Um, but we really, you know, that's, it's a diverse population. We meet a lot of children with a lot of different things. Um, mm -hmm. we definitely have a, it, we've over the years, there are a lot of children, the diagnosis of autism has increased, um, other diagnoses yeah, that come down the line, like could be a possibility for maybe an ADHD diagnosis down the line or an attending mm -hmm. difficulty or even an executive functioning diagnosis that as the children get older, you can see that that's probably where they're the major area that they're going to have trouble with. But when I meet them when they're three, we're having trouble, but we haven't, we haven't found the nuances of exactly what it is yet. Right. 
so that makes sense yeah um, with what you're saying and um i guess another follow-up question to that is can a child outgrow a speech and language impairment once they're um, diagnosed it, de- it depends um if you look at a specific language impairment um mm-hmm. so be it be it I'm trying to think here, sorry. Yes, or the sounds that they produce in their speech or how they put their motor coordination together to get those sounds out, then absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're always, we're always growing and developing and and learning and gaining skills. Um, I guess it really comes down to what is the what is the underlining cause of what's of what the difficulty is would be the real that's that's kind of like the clincher in terms of it might yeah. not, it might not always look the way it does when they're three and it might change but it could it could still be a harder for them um right it could always remain a struggle for them yeah yeah i did that's the one thing that we sit down i sit down with a lot of parents and they ask that question and unfortunately i don't have a crystal ball because mm-hmm. every child so different right. in the way it, they they develop and the, yeah. the gains that they make. Yeah. And it's not uncommon for children that come to me to have some significant phonological impairments and be very difficult to understand and have a really hard time putting it all together. And I learn mm-hmm. later on down the line as they grow and develop that it might actually, there's a, there's a learning disability there. But I didn't know that okay. when they were three because obviously we weren't reading. But the correlation between right. those two things can be high as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Did sometimes, oops, sorry. I'm sorry. I just wanted to know if you could further um, identify the phon- the phonological um, awareness, just for any parents that may not understand that um, exact phrase. Right. Might There's be a new phrase. That they oh, absolutely. Heard. There's two different things. Um, one of the things, one of them is that I deal with a lot is called a phonological impairment, and that is actually the mm-hmm. way that we produce sounds come in categories. So. Okay we produce a K and a G at the back of our throat. So oftentimes children, instead of a K and a G, they have a T and a D. So they're actually Mm -hmm. using the phonological process, which is a very fancy word for that. Basically the pattern that the child has done is replaced anything that comes at the back of their throat with the sounds that come at the front of their mouth. Um, And we call that a phonological impairment. The other Mm -hmm. aspect of that, which as we get older and we start to learn pre-reading skills, we look at phonological awareness, and that is also the word phono- phonological is used again because what we're learning to do is break down sounds and break down parts of words into segments and understand how you can move those sounds around and it can change words and put things together. And it's a precursor and an added to, to learning how to read. So right, they're an important. It is a very important, important. yeah. Yep. It's as it's almost as important as sound symbol association with letters and the sounds that they make, um, mm-hmm. because you're learning how it's rhyming is part of it, segmenting uh, multiple syllable words is part of it, being able to hear the different sounds in one word and move it around. Say say sun, yep. say it again, but instead of say, so it comes out as fun instead of sun. Um, manipulating right. those individual sounds and words, right? Which is you know, a, a pretty important piece of, of language mm. and speech. And read, together. yeah, it's a big deal. And reading, right. <laughs> um, okay, so after the after um, the child has been identified, 
Uh, what's next? You know, what can a parent expect to take place? Well, there are legal timeframes that every person in um, every school district in New Hampshire is um, required to follow. So right. that time frame is given, should definitely be given to the parent in the beginning. Um, we usually sit down with the parent with a timetable sheet and explain to them where we are in that timetable and exactly how much time we have to do each step. Um, and then again at the next step. But following meeting and talking about the evaluation, the school district has 30 days to then sit down and come up with an individual education plan. So that is a big term for a right for a plan of exactly what it is that's going to be worked on for a year's time. So what the goal is that we want to reach and what the individual um, goals or objectives as not goals, excuse me, um, objectives or benchmarks within that to be able to reach that goal. And so it's kind of a, it's a, it's a projection for in a year's time, what do we think is doable? What do we think is practical? Um, and what do we think is obtainable to be able to get to? Oh, okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, and as far as, um, one more follow-up question, I know we're running short on time. Um, we have just a few more minutes, but I was hoping to, you could, you could, um, explain a little bit about how we can best support a child with a speech and language impairment, um, in a school or even at home as, as a parent, mm. what are some of the best things that we can do? One of the things that I tell parents a lot is to read. Like it's really important to read and it's really important to play. And it's kind of an odd thing. They always look at me because I know that they want more, but reading stories is so important. Talking about the stories that we're reading, asking questions about what it is that we've just read, what the characters are doing, what they're thinking, how they feel. And there's so much language that we get from reading. Um, right. And even within a book, maybe the book rhymes. So we're rhyming and we're exposing all of that. And it's it's a very simplistic. Ex- we're really exposing and pulling out. Yeah, it's a very language. simplistic thing that sometimes I, I feel like I give that to families and they don't necessarily think it's enough. But it's also a really mm-hmm. important thing. It's a good way to. Hello? Did I lose you? Oh. Are you? Um, <laughs> Sorry, if if, if a child has apraxia, so the motor <laughs> movements of what they're doing and in their mouth is really, really hard, but if it's a repetitive book and you are just able to leave off that last word of a story and they can practice that one word that happens all the time over and over again, that's great practice. If it's a child mm-hmm. who has autism yeah. and just being able to engage is great tricky than even just pointing to the pictures together and labeling the pictures is an important part of that. Um, there's almost, there's some, there's really nothing that you can't address when you're reading a book. Um, important. And the other one is just playing, even just sitting down on the floor and playing with your kids so that you're using the same language over and over again. Yeah. And just teaching, teaching mm-hmm. back and forth. Um, you know, it's my turn, it's your turn. Um, so they seem really, they seem like really simple things, but they're hugely important. Yeah. Right. And if they're done over and over again in, in practice, then, then it's going to only, um, help the child. Yeah. And there's so many, even if it's the sound, say your child's working on K's and you just sit down with the train and it goes back, 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 you're still getting practice and they're playing. So they think it's a big, it's big fun. Um, or. So you want to emphasize the, um, you know, if they have a hard time with, with the 
sound, you'd want to emphasize that. As yeah, or, and even having them practice it so that they get that practice in, because the more you practice, the the quicker mm-hmm. that that skill is going to come in and be a solid skill that they're just using all the time, as opposed to something that we're trying to practice to get in. And that it, that's yeah, and get the mastery of the skill down. Right, that makes sense, and that's all very, very helpful information. Um, I want to thank you, Kara, for your time and knowledge today, and um, say thank you to everyone for taking the time to tune in. And until next time, um, I will talk to you Perfect. Thanks, Joy. I'd like to share with you what a speech and language impairment is. The Individuals with Disabilities Education Act officially defines speech and language impairments as communication disorders, such as stuttering, impairment articulation, a language impairment, or a voice impairment that adversely affects a child's educational performance. Each point within the official definition represents a speech and language subcategory. A communication disorder, such as stuttering, provides an example of fluency disorder. Other fluency issues include unusual word repetition and hesitant speech. Impaired articulation indicates impairments in which a child experiences challenges in pronouncing specific sounds. A language impairment can entail difficulty comprehending words properly, expressing oneself or listening to others. A voice impairment involves difficulty voicing words, for instance, throat issues, may cause an abnormally soft voice. I'd like to share with you what a speech and language impairment is. The Individuals with Disabilities Education Act officially defines speech and language impairments as communication disorders, such as stuttering, impairment articulation, a language impairment, or a voice impairment that adversely affects a child's educational performance. Each point within the official definition represents a speech and language subcategory. A communication disorder, such as stuttering, provides an example of fluency disorder. Other fluency issues include unusual word repetition and hesitant speech. Impaired articulation indicates impairments in which a child experiences challenges in pronouncing specific sounds. A language impairment can entail difficulty comprehending words properly expressing oneself or listening to others. A voice impairment involves difficulty voicing words, for instance, throat issues, may cause an abnormally soft voice. I'd like to share with you what a speech and language impairment is. The Individuals with Disabilities Education Act officially defines speech and language impairments as communication disorders, such as stuttering, impairment articulation, a language impairment, or a voice impairment that adversely affects a child's educational performance. Each point within the official definition represents a speech and language subcategory. A communication disorder, such as stuttering, provides an example of fluency disorder. Other fluency issues include unusual word repetition and hesitant speech. Impaired articulation indicates impairments in which a child experiences challenges in pronouncing specific sounds. A language impairment can entail difficulty comprehending words properly, expressing oneself or listening to others. A voice impairment involves difficulty voicing words, for instance, throat issues, may cause an abnormally soft voice. Hi, my name is Joy Travis, and today I'd like to take some time and talk to you about speech and language impairments. 
We'll be looking into the process of diagnosis as well as the types of screening tools used to help identify a child with a suspected speech and language impairment. What are some ways to best support a child with a diagnosis? I'm going to do this with the help of my colleague and, colleague and good friend, Kara Clark Harshorn, a speech and language pathologist of many years who has worked in the Windham School District. Hi. Kara, hi, how are you? I'm good. Good. I'm so glad you could join us today. So can I start by asking you some questions? Absolutely. Okay. So let's start with the first question. What would you do if you suspected um, your child had a speech and language impairment? Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give an age to this child. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. Yes, all right. Um, if you had a child who was younger than school age, so not in school yet, mm-hmm. um, and you thought okay. that you're in language impairment, the first place that I would recommend starting usually is um, with your pediatrician. Um, going to okay. your pediatrician okay. and discussing, yeah, discussing the difficulties that you're noticing um, and the, your concerns. That's usually that's the recommendation but then if you don't feel like you're getting the sometimes from there a pediatrician will tell you to refer to your school district or if your just gut is just telling you that something's not right then mm-hmm. if if your child is between the ages of three and five not quite in kindergarten yet then I would um, recommend highly to contact your school district okay and so, yeah that does make sense. And then from there, um, they would be able to coordinate the appropriate measures. Yeah. What happens um, then is you contact your school district. You tell them what your concerns are. Um, there is a special education secretary in most school districts or a person, at least, that's in charge of taking an intake or and this is what we call a pre-referral. So the person takes your information in the state of New Hampshire anyway. That's um the person at the school district takes your information, takes down your concerns, and then gives this information to the special education team um, for them to okay. review um, and to go over your your concerns that you've given about your child. Okay, so that that makes sense. That's a good place to start. Um, yeah. And for what can a parent expect at the beginning of the process of a diagnosis? The beginning of the so to begin. Um, you've this, sorry, I'm stuttering. The okay. New Hampshire law, we all thought we have mm-hmm. to follow the New Hampshire uh, special education law, which gives us timelines and a time frame, as well as the steps that we have to go through um, when you begin this process. So the first part of it is a team member contacting you um, and either having an intake over the telephone um, and discussing like what's going on and what your thoughts are, Mm -hmm. as well as paperwork being sent home for you to fill out a case history, um, some background information. And then we have what's called a, then we have a meeting and we sit down and talk about, it's a referral meeting and we sit down with you and talk about what your concerns are, whether or not it's felt that these are developmentally appropriate because some children- Yeah, some children, if you're three and you come and you're not making L's and R's, that's not developmentally appropriate. I understand your concern, but that's not, that doesn't fall within the developmental range of a three-year-old. Um, right. 
but if you come to yeah but if you go to go to the team and you say my child is three he's not talking he's only using between two and three words he gets really frustrated he has um tantrums then we recommend that we begin the evaluation process and we do a um an evaluation okay so the red flags kind of go up from there right right so um what are the common speech and language impairments that you see most often? A lot of, it's hard when they're little. When you're three, it's really hard to discern exactly what the fine, exactly what's going on. We under, oftentimes we look at it, it is definitely a developmental delay or a develop, mm -hmm. it's not fitting the, the course of development. So oftentimes we look at it as a developmental delay if there's more global things going on. Say we're concerned that the child isn't able to follow directions and he has difficulty expressing himself and using more than two or three words at a time, then that kind of falls under at this point in their development, a developmental delay. However, oftentimes it's not uncommon for us to also just to meet children who are having difficulties with the sounds that they produce in their speech. Mm -hmm. So they might have whole groups of sounds that they can't use in their language. So they might not be able to make K's or G's. Um, they might not be able to make S's. They might not be able to um, be able to use the sounds in the beginning, the middle, or the ending of words. But they have all those vowels in between. So that follows under that right there follows under more of a speech, more of the expressive language end of it. Um, and then sometimes okay. we, at this point in time, we meet it's not uncommon for us to be introduced to parents who are just coming into having a more significant diagnosis at this point in time, such as autism or okay. any other medical um, diagnosis that, would... that they've received from an outside source. Okay. And would that be where um, you would look into the whole global aspect of the whole child? Yes. Yes, okay. and that would be when we would recommend more than just a speech and language evaluation, but more of a, is there a motor difficulty happening? Is there an academic difficulty happening? Um, and or is and also is there a, this, and oftentimes in those situations, you also look at, um, it's called, I apologize, I'm losing, I'm not missing, I'm having trouble, can't think of the word, but we look at ADL, so acti activities of daily living. How are they able to um, be able to um, function in their daily lives and follow those routines and do those sort of things too? It's, an, it's called an adaptive assessment. That's what it is. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So that's one of, that's a screening tool that you would, you would use. Um, my, my next question to that is, um, what are some of those tools that you use to screen these, these children with a suspected, um, speech and language impairment? Mm -hmm. Like how do you um, get the diagnosis? Uh, <laughs> uh, many different ways, actually. Um, we always look at some, we try very hard if the child is able to do some mm -hmm. sort of standardized assessment. Um, so be it, there's a couple of different assessments that I primarily use on a regular basis. One of them is the Goldman Fristo test of articulation. Um, that looks okay. at the sounds that we produce in our um, the beginning, middle, and ending of our words. There's um, something called the preschool language scale that is used for children. Um, I believe it's six weeks old up to six years of age. So that covers a okay. large group. Um, there's another assessment called the 
real. It's the receptive and expressive early language um, assessment. And that actually, it's a standardized assessment, but it's more of an interview that I can do with parents if the child isn't able to perform a standardized assessment. So mm-hmm. those are all those are all assessments that we use. But then after that, it's really important that we sit down with the child and play so that we can look right. at what are their play skills like. Do they have functional play? Do they have symbolic play? Do they have pretend play? Um, mm-hmm. And also use that time to get what we call as a language sample. So looking at them using their language, how can they use it functionally? Do they use it um, in greetings? Do they use it to say goodbye? Are they able to right. use it to get their needs met um, versus just simply looking at a piece of paper and giving more of a rote response? Um, so those are all, even though we have to have a standardized that's, assessment, those are all important pieces too. Right. And that's so interesting to hear you um, say that, you know, that you, you dive much deeper into, you know, just a, a typical assessment as far as, you know, you sitting across from the child and asking them to identify pictures or um, things like that. So, yeah, but, it's really, it's, it's a really tricky, that's the really tricky aspect of the evaluation process because it's important to have a standardized test. They've been used, it's, you know, they've been used to look at what does the general population actually look like? What is normal? What is not normal? And looking at um, being able to get a score so that we have something to compare it to. And also to have a score, we can give the same assessment maybe in a year and we are able to show growth um, and those sort of mm-hmm. things. But unfortunately, when it also comes down to it, when it comes down to the, to the meat of it and having to write in education plan, a standardized assessment, especially for three to five-year-olds, doesn't give you a lot of information exactly on how to do that because it doesn't show them how they can use it functionally. So you really have to get down and play with them and, and get the nuances of it that way. Right. To really get to know that, that child and their struggles and yeah, what they really need. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so what are the most common speech and language impairments that you see? Um. M- a large majority of the children that I meet have um, more phonological, which is the sounds, any patterns that we use to produce our speech or articulation difficulties. Um, and they're probably, they're the majority of the population that I see. There's also, but I think that that is also because of the younger age that I work with. Um, right. Oftentimes difficulties difficulties that can be a little deeper say you know mm-hmm. uh, a specific language impairment might not come up at this age because the children mm-hmm. are functional they're able to use their language and they're not in a classroom they're not right. use they're not having to listen to language to interpret their environments to the extent that older children have to do it right. so i think that it's I still meet quite a few children who have more difficulties like that as well, but the majority are kind of that sound, um, sounds that we use in our speech and how to help them with that. Um, but we really, you know, that's, it's a diverse population. We meet a lot of children with a lot of different things. Um, Mm -hmm. we definitely have a, we've over the years, there are a lot of children, the diagnosis of autism has increased. Um, other diagnoses that come down the line, like, could be a possibility for maybe an ADHD diagnosis down the line or an attending mm-hmm. difficulty or even an executive functioning diagnosis that as the children get older, you can see that that's probably where they're the major area that they're going to have trouble with. But when I meet them when they're three, we're having trouble, but we haven't, we haven't found the nuances of exactly what it is yet. Right. 
so that makes sense yeah um, with what you're saying and um i guess another follow-up question to that is can a child outgrow a speech and language impairment once they're um, diagnosed? It, de- it depends um if you look at a specific language impairment um mm-hmm. so be it be it I'm trying to think here, sorry. Yes, or the sounds that they produce in their speech or how they put their motor coordination together to get those sounds out, then absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're always, we're always growing and developing and and learning and gaining skills. Um, I guess it really comes down to what is the, what is the underlining cause of what's the, of what the difficulty is, would be the real, that's that's kind of like the clincher in terms of it might yeah. not, it might not always look the way it does when they're three and it might change but it could it could still be a harder for them um right it could always remain a struggle for them yeah yeah i did that's the one thing that we sit down i sit down with a lot of parents and they ask that question and unfortunately i don't have a crystal ball because mm-hmm. every child's so different right. in the way it, they they develop and the, yeah. the gains that they make. Yeah. And it's not uncommon for children that come to me to have some significant phonological impairments and be very difficult to understand and have a really hard time putting it all together. And I learn mm-hmm. later on down the line as they grow and develop that it might actually, there's an, there's a learning disability there. But I didn't know that okay. when they were three because obviously we weren't reading. But the correlation between right. those two things can be high as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Did sometimes, you know, oops, sorry. I'm sorry. I just wanted to know if you could further um, identify the phon- the phonological um, awareness, just for any parents that may not understand that um, exact phrase. Right. Might There's be a new phrase. That oh, absolutely. Heard. There's two different things. Um, one of the things, one of them is that I deal with a lot is called a phonological impairment, and that is actually the mm-hmm. way that we produce sounds come in categories. So. Okay we produce a K and a G at the back of our throat. So oftentimes children, instead of a K and a G, they have a T and a D. So they're actually Mm -hmm. using the phonological process, which is a very fancy word for that. Basically the pattern that the child has done is replaced anything that comes at the back of their throat with the sounds that come at the front of their mouth. Um, And we call that a phonological impairment. The other Mm -hmm. aspect of that, which as we get older and we start to learn pre-reading skills, we look at phonological awareness, and that is also the word phonological is used again because what we're learning to do is break down sounds and break down parts of words into segments and understand how you can move those sounds around and it can change words and put things together and it's a precursor and an added to to learning how to read. So they're important. It is very important. Yeah. Yep. It's as it's almost as important as sound symbol association with letters and the sounds that they make, um, mm-hmm. because you're learning how it's rhyming is part of it, segmenting uh, multiple syllable words is part of it, being able to hear the different sounds in one word and move it around. Say say sun, yep. say it again, but instead of say, so it comes out as fun instead of sun. Um, manipulating right. those individual sounds and words. Right, which is you know. A, important piece of, of language mm. and speech and read together. yeah it's a big deal and reading <laughs> right um okay so after the after um the child has been identified 
Uh, what's next? You know, what can a parent expect to take place? Well, there are legal timeframes that every person in um, every school district in New Hampshire is um, required to follow. So right. that time frame is given, should definitely be given to the parent in the beginning. Um, we usually sit down with the parent with a timetable sheet and explain to them where we are in that timetable and exactly how much time we have to do each step. Um, and then again at the next step. But following meeting and talking about the evaluation, the school district has 30 days to then sit down and come up with an individual education plan. So that is a big term for a right. for a plan of exactly what it is that's going to be worked on for a year's time. So what the goal is that we want to reach and what the individual um, goals or objectives as not goals, excuse me, um, objectives or benchmarks within that to be able to reach that goal. And so it's kind of a, it's a, it's a projection for in a year's time, what do we think is doable? What do we think is practical? Um, and what do we think is obtainable to be able to get to? Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, and as far as, um, one more follow-up question, I know we're running short on time. Um, we have just a few more minutes, but I was hoping too you could you could um, explain a little bit about how we can best support a child with a speech and language impairment um, in a school or even at home as as a parent. Mm. What are some of the best things that we can do? One of the things that I tell parents a lot is to read. Like it's really important to read, and it's really important to play. And it's kind of an odd thing. They always look at me because I know that they, they want more. But reading stories is so important. Talking about the stories that we're reading, asking questions about what it is that we've just read, what the characters are doing, what they're thinking, how they feel. And there's so much language that we get from reading. Um, right. And even within a book, maybe the book rhymes, so we're rhyming and we're exposing all of that. And it's it's a very simplistic... Ex- really exposing and pulling out. Yeah, it's a very it. simplistic thing that sometimes I, I feel like I give that to families and they don't necessarily think it's enough. But it's also a really mm-hmm. important thing. It's a good way to... Hello? Did I lose you? Oh. Are you... Um, I <laughs> Sorry, if <laughs> if a child has apraxia, so the motor <laughs> movements of what they're doing and in their mouth is really, really hard, but if it's a repetitive book and you are just able to leave off that last word of a story and they can practice that one word that happens all the time over and over again, that's great practice. If it's a child mm-hmm. who has autism yeah. and just being able to engage is dr- tricky than even just pointing to the pictures together and labeling the pictures is an important part of that. Um, there's almost, there's some, there's really nothing that you can't address when you're reading a book. Um, important. And the other one is just playing, even just sitting down on the floor and playing with your kids so that you're using the same language over and over again. Yeah. And just teaching, teaching mm-hmm. back and forth. Um, you know, it's my turn, it's your turn. Um, so they seem really, they seem like really simple things, but they're hugely important. Yeah. Right. And if they're done over and over again in, in practice, then, then it's going to only, um, help the child. Yeah. And there's so many, even if it's the sound, say your child's working on K's and you just sit down with the train and it goes back, 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 you're still getting practice and they're playing. So they think it's a big, it's big fun. Um, or. So you want to emphasize the, um, you know, if they have a hard time with, with the 
sound, you'd want to emphasize that. As yeah, or, and even having them practice it so that they get that practice in, because the more you practice, the the quicker mm -hmm. that that skill is going to come in and be a solid skill that they're just using all the time, as opposed to something that we're trying to practice to get in. And that it, that's, yeah, and get the mastery of the skill down. Right, that makes sense. And that's all very, very helpful information. Um, I want to thank you, Kara, for your time and knowledge today. And um, say thank you to everyone for taking the time to well, tune in. And until next time, um, I will talk to you Perfect. soon. Perfect. Thanks, Joy.